This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The role of policy has never been more important than it is right now, not because we've seen times where there's been unrest or political dirty tricks between countries before, but because the digital footprint that every country brings is so important to those policies in the future. New America CEO Anne-Marie Slaughter looks at this very important issue as part of her book, The Chessboard and the Web. She's also Professor Emerita of Politics and International Affairs at Princeton University, as well as a former Director of Policy Planning at the U.S. State Department. Anne-Marie, great to have you back on the show. I'm delighted to be back. Thank you. Uh, just the idea of, of policy in general right now and the impact that this web world that you talk about uh, playing a role. How delicate of a kind of a balancing act is it right now? Well, uh, the, what we really need is as many different tools as we can have to solve important public issues. And policy is one of those. Policy is generally law or regulation. Lots of people think we have too much <laughs> regulation. Uh, but what I'm arguing is we also actually need to be able to create networks, action networks, uh, and to actually accomplish uh, various tasks uh, or, or defend ourselves or scale things up, and that we really don't have those tools the way we need them. Uh, and this book is a way, an effort to explain how to create them. What do you think is the main reason for uh, those tools not being there? I guess kind of like a block has been put in place. <laughs> Well, part of it is is we, we everybody says all the time we live in a connected world. We're all connected all the time. That's right. the nature of modern life is connection. And it, what I'm arguing is we we are connected, but sometimes we're not connected to the right people. Sometimes we're not connected enough. Sometimes we're too connected. And actually, there's lots of theory about that. Network theory is a whole branch of science, but it's relatively new uh, in in terms of less. 20 or 30 years, and we haven't had a chance to take all that theory out of the universities and apply it to say, okay, so what kinds of networks should we build for what purposes? The book is called The Chessboard and the Web, Strategies of Connection in a Network World. Anne-Marie Slaughter is our guest, as we mentioned, uh, former director of policy planning at the State Department, uh, also uh, professor emerita of politics and international affairs at Princeton University. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you're not able to get your phone, you can uh, send us a message via Twitter, either at bizradio. 111 or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney 21. The, the, the chessboard piece of this, I, I find interesting being somebody I'm, you know, just turned 50 a few years ago. I mean, I kind of have seen a little bit of that chessboard play out as you talk about it, kind of the, the power game between some countries out there. But how has that been affected uh, because of the fact that that some of these networks are not there, especially over the last maybe decade or so? Well, so the chessboard is still really relevant, right? If we're engaging in uh, politics with Iran or North Korea or China or Russia, we're still playing chess a lot of the time. We're trying to figure out, all right, if we do this, then they'll do that, uh, and then we'll do this. It's a strategy game, uh, and it's important. 
But just think about our relations with Russia right now. We, yeah. we are playing great power politics, but the biggest problems we've got with Russia are that they're hacking into our networks, yeah. right? So they, you know, that is a web game. It's not, and it isn't just the Russians. It's the Russians leaking to WikiLeaks, and you've got private hackers who are and criminals who are all in those networks alongside governments. And so, if you're really talking about pushing back against Russia, well, there are things we can do on the chessboard. We expel their diplomats and we impose sanctions. But really, you need a counter a Russian network. You may need a network to find out their secrets and leak their secrets. Yeah. You may you may need to be able to push back with your own network. So that's a good example where you need both approaches. And, and obviously there is the political end of this, but as you alluded to a, a second ago, uh, there are so many other areas where having networks ends up being a benefit, whether that is, you know, trying to to solve the water crisis in Africa and and, and you know, things in South America here in the U.S. In Europe. I mean, there are so many different elements that you could probably touch on that could be improved with the proper networks in place. Exactly. The one I always uh, tell people is you need a particular kind of network to find a job. Most people don't understand. Yeah. We always talk about, well, your networks, go network. You yeah. know? But actually, we know, for instance, if you want to find a job, the best thing you can do is contact not the people you know really well, but the people you know just slightly, your acquaintances rather than your friends. Because there's a lot of theory that shows those are the people who will know about the job options you don't know about. Whereas your friends, because they're your friends, because they all talk to the same people yeah. will only know what you already know about. So that's just a really concrete example. Um, but something like, for instance, if we want to think about fighting terrorism longer term, right? right. So there's an immediate counter network to Al Qaeda or ISIL. But then there is, wait a minute, we actually need to address the lack of opportunity in lots of places that are hotbeds for uh, recruitment to a ISIL or Al-Qaeda, then we need networks that really help people, as you say, address a water crisis or create jobs or improve health. And there are different structures of network that will actually make that work better. Anne-Marie Slaughter is our guest. She is the CEO of New America. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. She's also author of the book, The Chessboard and the Web. Uh, again, 844-942-7866. Uh, when you talk about ISIS uh, for a second, uh, and that was obviously something that, that President Trump brought up when uh, he was campaigning to, to be president several months ago, and he wanted to eradicate ISIS. The interesting piece of it, speaking of networks and networking, is that one of the kind of avenues that's, that is discussed as a way to try and uh, eliminate or at least lessen their influence is by looking at the networks that we have already in place, especially the internet, as a way to try and tackle them. So, I mean, in, in this case, networking does kind of have a, a dual role as to how to try and, uh, try and handle this problem. Yes, and networks like any other form or technology are obviously not all good or all bad. I mean, right, yeah. They are just the form, a form of modern life. And one, one way you could think about this is actually ISIL uh, or other uh, radical Islamic groups uh, understood the potential of social media networks better than Western governments did. And one of the things they understood was if you created a kind of 
uh, template, like, you know, here is how you murder people, uh, which they, of course, put up online, that could inspire lone wolves, which is a particular kind of what I call a replication network. Yeah. Uh, it has a particular kind of structure. We, we were slow to realize how effectively they were exploiting it, and we are now having to figure out how to counter it. We're also seeing this kind of run of nationalism right now, which uh, is something that uh, a lot of people have associated with President Trump, but other places as well. Uh, France is potentially an area. Uh, England or the United Kingdom as well. Uh, this this run of nationalism where this working together and, and building these networks, it would seem to be that th- these are two areas that really are kind of butting heads to a degree. Yes, uh, I think that, and what, uh, indeed, many people who are uh, angry and voting for nationalist or populist candidates perceive that they've been left behind as various elites have built global networks uh, in the sense of people who travel around the world and and go to the same airports and see each other in the same uh, companies uh, and and uh, resorts. Uh, I think there is this this sense that there are these global networks, and I'm not part of them, and I want to take my country back. Right. Uh, I think that's that's actually something that's bigger than just building a counter network. It's it's part of saying, wait a minute. Uh, it you know what is legitimate to put when is it legitimate to put your country first because of course it's it's fine to put your country first but when does putting your country first in a particular way actually hurt people more than help them? When you think about some of the areas that that are, are seeing various levels of strife right now uh, and probably could benefit from a lot of these different types of networks build being built up, uh, you mentioned the book Syria, but also places like Ukraine, uh, you know, those being two of them right now that that are, are, are really struggling and really could use all kinds of different networks to be to to bring them kind of a, a various level of change. Yes. And it, it, one of the things they need, for instance, are continual contacts with people uh, in Europe, in the United States. It's interesting. After the Soviet Union uh, collapsed uh, in, in the early 1990s, uh, many people in Europe and the United States created civic networks. So lawyers yep. and judges and journalists all went to Eastern and Central Europe. And they, they didn't just sort of fly in once. They actually built ongoing webs of support that really helped the uh, people who had come out of living under communism for 50 years find their way, you know, just like you have a a mentor network, right, people who help you as you need it. And we still need that for countries like Ukraine. Uh, They they can't just, you know, kind of – develop the the more developed liberal democratic society or prosperous society uh, that they see in Europe without that kind of sustained help. So one of the things I write about is what would that kind of network look like? What does it take? We actually have done it before and we need to be still doing it, particularly for places on our borders. Is there enough of a mindset? Uh, let's just take the United States, for example. Is there enough of a mindset of the need to have these networks on whatever front they may be? 
Well, I think there is when people realize what a great investment they are. It makes right. it so much cheaper to fund, you know, regular meetings, regular contacts, and and really, I, I discuss sort of exactly what the network should look like and how it needs to be managed. That's cheap. Uh, and when things fall apart, putting them back together is, is far more expensive and far harder. If again, if you think of, think about a small town and the networks that make it work, and I write about you know town, a town like Allentown, Pennsylvania, as compared to Youngstown, Ohio, when networks get broken. They're really hard to reestablish. You know, when when the folks who ran the little league, who ran the unions, who ran the companies, yeah. who ran the bank, knew each other, you have a kind of civic capital there that is that it makes for resilience and energy. Yeah. Uh, so I think if you make the case for networks, it's it's cheaper, it's easier, and it's effective. There, it's a great example because it's funny you say that because in my travels in my other lifetime working in baseball, I've gone to some of these small smaller U.S. towns, and you can just see what this city was probably 20 or 30 years ago, and it is so vastly different yeah. than, than what it is now. I, I think of a town like, like Binghamton, New York. I mean, it, it had such great production, you know, I'm told 30 years ago, and, and a lot of that has gone out the door. That's right. And a lot of what used to happen was there were civic institutions. Little League is a great example where yeah. everybody participated. So you would be there with the lawyer, the doctor, the plumber, the you know steel worker, uh, people who, who then knew each other and not, were able to both provide help, but also where there were challenges to the town, come together and, you know, if it was a, a needed for charity or needed for infrastructure, whatever it might be, and we've lost that, that civic fabric. Um, but it can be rebuilt. The the interesting thing about that specific example, playing off of that uh, of Little League, is that I work uh, with a Little League. I'm on the board uh, for my kids' Little League, and they have seen a noticeable downturn in terms of the numbers of people in that Little League the last couple of years. But they're recognizing that, okay, these are families that may be going to lacrosse or, or yep. another sport. So you're losing a little bit of the, of the power of that particular social network, but it's, it's kind of expanding as well because you're having so many other different options that are kind of in play. I mean, that's right, as long as those options really cross-cut social class. Because, okay. again, yeah. the great thing about Little League is baseball's everybody's game. Lacrosse right. can be more expensive, um, yep. and particularly these leagues that require travel, you're only getting the wealthier people in town because you, you need both money yeah. and time, uh, whereas, you know, the old Little League, anyway, was just, just played downtown. So paying attention to who's in the network and who's not and what what's the structure of the network and how, how strong is it, that's, again, it's sort of the hidden infrastructure that many of us didn't realize we had till it was all gone. The, the element of, of the chessboard and the, the, the web world working together, you said we obviously we need to have both of them. Right. Uh, do, they, do they, though, at times it would seem that, that they kind of butt heads against one another? Well, so sometimes it's a question of timing. Right? Right. I mean, uh, you know, if you are in a crisis, it's hard. you can't just build a network. Networks right. yeah. are a longer-term strategy. When you have them, they're extremely valuable. But if, if so, if a country invades another country, or if China does something in the South China Sea, you're not going to be able to just create the network. You're going to be playing chess. Right. Uh, but my point is really, uh, particularly for longer-term policy, and again, prevention. <laughs> 
<laughs> and resilience and scale. We need to be thinking uh, both on the chessboard and in the web at the same time. But the but the time frame, as you just say, about about something that kind of plays out in the web world, that ends up being very important because of the of the potential long term benefit that could be there from that from that network in comparison to that more short-term uh, of something off the chessboard. Absolutely. And a good example is when Secretary Clinton was Secretary of State, she really uh, understood that, of course, we needed ambassadors to other countries who go to their embassies and who meet with government officials, but that we also needed ambassadors to different social groups. So she created an ambassador to women, an ambassador yeah. to civil society, or an ambassador to to Muslim communities, so that when the government gets overturned, like in the in the Arab Spring, or just in general, we had ability to shape how another country sees us, or the ability to mobilize people or businesses or civic groups when we need them. Does, does the building of these networks become even more of a little bit of a challenge right now because of what we see in our in our U.S. society right now of there being more of kind of a, a fracturing of a lot of these groups and a lot of these uh, the, these different uh, people with different backgrounds and, and things right now? Yes, I would say we have way too many tribes and not enough networks. Yeah. In other words, we've got plenty of people who are deeply and closely connected to you know people who think like them. Uh, again, part of this is, and this is well documented, that as we are more segregated into red and blue communities and we're more segregated by class, we are less likely to come into contact with people who think differently than we do. Uh, some of these old, more old-fashioned civic networks, again, Again, Little League, the United Way, these places that brought us together uh, in ways that we, we were connected to others um, who were different. Uh, we need to rebuild a lot of that. It's harder now. So a lot of this also is just mindset of people. And if you have that understanding, I mean, we all are, are having busier lives than than we had a decade ago. But if you have that mindset of, of of that social network being a key component of of what makes you personally successful and your community successful, then you can build it up. I mean, obviously, you, the more people you get kind of thinking along this way, the better off it'll be. Absolutely. And again, lots of people will say, oh, yeah, I know I need a network. But my point is not just a network. Different networks for different purposes. You right. need to think strategically. Oh, if I want to do this, then I need this kind of network. It, it should, it should, you know, uh, as I said, like whether it's your acquaintances rather than your friends, or it should have this structure. You should have one center and lots of people around it. Right. There, there are ways of thinking very strategically about building a network, just like you'd think strategically about a chess game. Uh, as as tends to be the case, and it, it does come back. I, I want to take this conversation conversation to whether or not there is a generational element to it in terms of the mindset of thinking that way and whether or not as the millennial generation has more and more influence here in the US and in other places around the world whether or not that strategic thinking is is a component that they bring to the table and will benefit obviously the millions and millions of people that are here in the US or around the globe in the next several years 
I think so. I think there's a generational and a gender component. Uh, and okay. I say that because when I give, have given lectures on these two approaches, these two ways of seeing the world, and again, we need both. One, it's not one or the other, it's both. But when I talk about the, the web world, what I find, the world of networks, I find that the people who are most often nodding their heads are women and people under 35, digital natives. Right. Uh, and digital natives, yes, because they've grown up completely connected and they're they they sort of don't know how to think of themselves as separate uh from their networks uh they they may need some chessboard teaching but also women who have rarely had direct power over others and are accustomed to thinking about how do you get something done when you activate your network. If you think of the volunteers that you may have grown up with or your mother's generation grew up with, those networks of volunteers were often the way women got things done uh, in communities when they didn't have direct power. Great to have you on this show, Emery. It's a pleasure always having you on. Uh, It's a fantastic book. Thanks very much for giving us your time today. Thank you. I always enjoy it. Thank you. The book, by the way, is The Chessboard and the Web, Strategies of Connection in a Network World. Anne-Marie Slaughter uh, is a great book. It is available uh, in bookstores and online right now. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.